Good morning. It's great to have you all here this morning. I am particularly excited to be able to share the last couple of times that I've preached due to inclement weather and other circumstances. We had to go completely online. And so I like people usually. And so actually, I really like you guys because you laugh and stuff like that. But uh, it's great to be here and see you in person. It's great for those of you that are online. And I just want to say in this last year or so, it has been amazing to see what God has done through the online church platform, to know the people that are being reached who wouldn't otherwise be reached because they can't step, they won't step through the doors of a church. And so I'm excited to be able to be here in person with you all. I'm as equally excited for those of you that are meeting us online and worshiping with us. And so I'm excited to share God's word with you today. And so I'm expecting some feedback along the way, you know, amen every once in a while or clap or whatever, because uh, that will be encouraging to me. All right, so JP just finished a series called Easter Eggs, and in that series, JP masterfully took stories and events and prophecies and such from the Old Testament and used those to show us Jesus, to show us how they pointed to Jesus and who Jesus was. And so, of course, last week with Easter Sunday, we got to celebrate the resurrection. We got to see that Jesus died on the cross, yes, but he showed that he has power over sin and death. Because he rose from the grave. And the end of all the Gospels, the stories of the good news, we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all end with this resurrection story. But we know that the story of how God works with his people didn't end at Easter. There's more to it. And actually, for those of you maybe at the beginning of the year, you decided you're going to read through your Bible in a year. If we didn't have the story that takes place after the resurrection of Jesus... You guys would be a little bit further along now, I think. But fortunately, we got a whole chunk of our Bible that says that God is still doing something. God is still at work. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose. He went back to heaven, but he started something. He started building his church. And so as we read after the Easter story about Jesus' resurrection, we see that Jesus starts to put in place things so that God would continue to work in his people's lives in that time. And so we have the book of Acts, the beginning of the church. We have the letters that we read where we are encouraged to live out our faith. And that process of God working continues to this day. And so I'm excited to be able to introduce the new series we'll be starting. It's called Some Assembly Required. And the idea is basically that as Jesus rose from the dead, he started building his church, he started building his people, and there's work that's still being done. And what we're going to do with this series over the next few weeks is talk about how that works in our families. So specifically focusing on what does it look like for us to live out our faith in the context of the family that we're in. And so I'm excited to be able to start that off. And so I have a question for you, something for you to think about. If I were to ask you to describe your family... What would you say? What does your family look like? Think about it for a moment. This is not just a rhetorical question. I want you to actually consciously think about it. Describe your family. So for most of you, maybe that would be your spouse and kids. I might say my wife, Michelle, and my two teenage sons, Nathan and Matthew. Um, maybe you would say the family that you grew up in. So Maybe you had a dad named Fred and a mom named Carol and a sister named Debbie who used to scream that you were hitting her so that you would get in trouble and she could watch TV. Anybody? That would be weird because that's my family growing up. And so if any of you had that family, I want to talk with you because I want to know where you were. Uh, maybe you could have helped me when my sister was screaming that I was hitting her. 
Um, so we would often, especially in Western culture, if I were to ask you to describe your family, we typically think of the nuclear family, right? Mom, dad, two and a half kids, and a dog named Spot, maybe. And so in Western North America, for sure, Western culture, parts of Europe, we would think of the nuclear family. But in pretty much the rest of the world, if I were to say describe your family, most cultures would include their extended family. So their family would include grandparents, in-laws, cousins, aunts, uncles, right? The family, by their definition, would be bigger. And there's certainly parts of the world, villages and tribes and such, where the family is everybody that lives in their community, right? It's all the people that live close to them, that they connect with, that they relate to, whether or not they're blood-related. When I was in high school, uh, my home environment was a little rough, and so if you had asked me when I was in high school, I would have said that my family was the La Habra High School Marching Band. They were the people I spent tons of time with, the band director was kind of a mentor to me. I had my friends. I had the parents of my friends. And so my family in that environment, in that season of my life, had no blood relation to me at all. But they were the close community of friends that helped me through that season of my life. Maybe it's your church family. And so we see that just culturally, although maybe we would go to, when I ask you the question of describing your family, you might think of my spouse and my kids or my parents. There's a lot more to family than just that. Actually, if you look it up in dictionary.com, there are 17 definitions for family. How they got to 17, I don't know. Some of them are very nuanced. The first 10 of them have to do with your blood relations or your marriage relationships. The next seven or so of them are about community relationships, people that you have a connection to, maybe your fraternity or sorority or, or your church family or people that you work with. Now, what's interesting is I decided that I was going to look and see what does the Bible define as the family? So I went online, uh, BibleGateway.com, and I searched family in the NIV, and so it brought up all the verses that, just, that have the word family. Now, remember, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The original language was Greek of the time, and so all the writings were originally in Greek and then translated to the various languages that we have today. And so I looked at all the words family, and I went back. I'm kind of becoming a little bit of a Greek nerd, and so I wanted to go back and see, okay, what is the Greek word for family? There isn't just one. Even in the Bible, which was written 2,000 years ago, there are several different words that we now understand and translate as family. It could be words related to your lineage or your parents. Uh, there are some words that are translated family that actually the literal translation is in the same house. So sometimes the word family are the, those of the household, right? The word brother or brother and sister, like brotherhood, is often translated family, especially with respect to the Christian family. Your Christian brothers or sisters uh, could be part of your family. Uh, the most interesting one I found was actually in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is just starting off his ministry, and he's walking around, and his, his mom and brothers thinks he's kind of gone off his rocker a little bit. And so Mark chapter 3 says, when those of his family came and found Jesus, they pulled him aside because they wanted to talk with him. But that word for family in there, there isn't actually even family in the original Greek. It actually means those belonging to Jesus. So those that have that connection with Jesus. Some translations actually translate it friends instead of family. But you see that even in Bible times, there wasn't one definition of family. Family was that kind of community relationship connection that we had. That could be your spouse and kids. That could be your mom and dad. 
And so as we enter into this new series, Some Assembly Required, we're going to be talking about family over the next few weeks. But what I want to make sure you understand is your family is the one that you have that relational connection with. You can live by yourself and still have a family. It could be the people that you play sports with. It could be the people that you go to church with. So I want you to think as we get into this series on family, to be thinking through who is the family that I'm part of? And how does God's word intersect my life in that family? Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, but before you open your Bibles, let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for bringing us here, whether here's in person or online. Or sometime later this week, we know, Lord, that you have a word for us today. And so I pray that you would speak to me, Lord, that you would speak through me and to me and to each of us. Lord, that our hearts would be open to the message that you have. Lord, that we would learn how to love you better in the context of whatever our family is that we live in. So we give you this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Right at the beginning, if, if you're not familiar with that, you can look it up on your Bible app or the table of contents. It's in the latter half of your Bible. It's in one of those letters that's written by the Apostle Paul after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and I'm going to note a couple of interesting differences from other translations if you're in another translation. We only got two verses, so the reading is going to be really quick, and the explanation and expl- application is going to be a little bit longer. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example. Walk in the way of love. This passage, these two verses have two imperatives, two commands, two things that it's telling us to do. One, follow God's example. Now, if you have pretty much any translation other than the NIV, it actually will use the word imitate or be imitators. And so the underlying word is actually where we get the English word mimic today. So in Greek, the word actually means to look at something and do what that something is doing. It actually talks about becoming imitators of God. That we're a work in progress, right? Some assembly required. The church was like that. We are like that. There is work that has to be done. And so this passage in Ephesians 5.1 starts off by telling us to become imitators of God. Follow God's example. Now, what does that look like? You know, if, if you have kids or maybe you've seen this in movies, uh, you'll see a young son standing next to his dad. And there's this thing with men that have beards that if they're thinking, they'll kind of just stroke them a little bit. Like, hmm. And then you'll see the little five-year-old boy down here. He looks up at his dad stroking his chin while he's singing. And the little boy will do that too. And you're like, you're literally not stroking anything. But he's looking at what his dad is doing, and he's doing the same thing, right? He's mimicking his behavior. He's being an imitator of his father's example. I have a slightly more nerdy personal example of what it means to imitate. So if you know me, you know that I have this thing for spreadsheets. I like to make spreadsheets. I'm I'm pretty sure that all of the world's problems can be solved by making a spreadsheet. And so... uh, People make fun of me for that. 
but uh, I like spreadsheets. And so I, I use them a lot for tracking finances and all that. Okay, so when my son Nate was in his first year at Biola University, he went into college as a kinesiology major. He wanted to be a physical therapist. And about two weeks after starting classes, we uh, got together with him and he's like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that anymore. He realized that that was going to be seven years of school and that was going to be a lot of science. And that was much longer than he wanted to spend in school. And so we spent some time with him talking through like what, what major would be more appropriate. And after a little while of talking, he switched over to business. He figured he can get a business degree in a few years and then he had all these options once he graduated, right? And so a few weeks later, I wake up one morning and I have an email from him. And it says, hey, Dad, I put this together and just wanted to know what you think. And he sent me a spreadsheet. <laughs> it was like heaven. So a little nerdy, but my son was following my example. And what he had done was he was looking at how much you could make as a business person, a person with a business degree, and breaking down what his budget would look like. Now, unfortunately, his starting point was he was going to graduate college making $100,000 a year. So, <laughs> so if you have a job, you realize that that's a pretty high mark. So I had to set him straight on a few things. But regardless, there's that example of my son seeing that I use these spreadsheets as a way to help understand things, especially budgets. And so he learned to follow that example. And so scripture tells us to not just follow our dad's example or moms or husbands or wives. We want to follow God's example. Why? Because God is obviously the only perfect example that we have to follow. Right? We can follow all sorts of fallen people. We can follow all sorts of people who mess up. But scripture tells us the one that we follow is to be God. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. The second command is, and walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Now, this doesn't literally mean to walk around, like physically walk around, though it involves that. The idea is to live your life in the way of love. That as you're going about your day, as you're going about your life, interacting with your family, whatever that looks like, that we should be living out a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. We should be walking around in our life. We should be doing things in our life in a way that shows the same love and sacrifice that Christ showed with his life. So two commands, follow God's example and walk in love. Now, why is this important? Why is it that we need to follow God's example? Now, here's the truth. This world is messed up. This world is a disaster. And I don't just mean American culture today. Yes, I do mean that. Our culture today is messed up. The culture of the Renaissance was messed up. The culture of the Middle Ages was messed up. These words were written 2,000 years ago during the Roman Empire. This world was messed up too. If you go back far enough, the only time the world wasn't messed up was before Adam and Eve ate the apple in the garden. Ever since then, when sin entered the world, we have made choices. Humanity has made choices that mess things up. And so scripture encourages us to follow God's example. Why? Because the world needs to see families that look like Jesus. The world needs to be able to see that when we know Jesus, it has an impact on our lives. 
We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but knowing Jesus means that something is different about us. And so this messed up world that we live in needs to see what it looks like to follow Jesus, needs to see families that follow Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we have families that look like Jesus so they can see God? But how does that happen? In order to have families that look like Jesus, we need to be people that look like Jesus. Now, I want to pause here and have you turn to the person next to you. If you're at home, turn to the person on the couch, or if you're alone, text somebody. And I want you to say, I want to hear it. The rest of this message is for me. Let's hear it. The rest of this message is for me. So here's the problem. Tell me if you guys have ever done this. You're sitting in a church service, you're listening to a great message, and you're like, oh my gosh, my wife needs to hear this. Oh my gosh, if only my mom was here right now, Jesus would be cutting her right to the heart. Johnny in the back row, oh, he made me so mad. He needs to hear this message on loving others. How many of you guys have ever done that? Okay, your laughter tells me that you have, right? It's so easy to take the message that we're hearing and apply it to everybody else in our life but us. So for the rest of our time that we have, I want you to be thinking that this message is for me. Why do we need to follow God's example? Because the world needs to see families that look like Jesus. Two, in order to have families that look like Jesus, we need to be people that look like Jesus. I need to be a person that looks like Jesus. I can't just say my wife needs to. I can't just say my kids need to. I need to say I need to be a person that looks like Jesus. But in order for me to be a person that looks like Jesus, I need to be looking at Jesus. In order to have to live my life in a way that looks like Jesus, I need to be looking at Jesus. And so you see, as we're going into this series on families over these next few weeks, yes, we are going to be talking about what does it look like to live out God's purposes in your family. But what we're starting at is recognizing it starts with me. This sermon title, this message title is It Starts With Me. Some assembly required. We are assembling God's family. We are part of God's family. But in order to do that, I need to recognize that it needs to start with me. Now, we could end the message here, and that would be a good motivational talk. That would be a good way of saying, yay, go out there in the world and, you know, look at Jesus, whatever that means. But we're not going to stop here. Because what I want to do is I want to give you some practical tips. We're going to ask three questions. And I want you to take those into this week ahead and take those three questions and say, how am I going to live these out? So what can you, what can I, singular, what can you do to follow God's example? Three questions for you. The first question, am I living out the one another's? Am I living out the one another's? So in the New Testament, there's this word, alelos, in Greek, which means one another. And that word is used 100 times in the New Testament. 59 of those times are commands telling us how to live our lives. 
So for example, you can have love one another, be kind to one another, be generous to one another, care for one another. Actually, if you have your, uh, the handout for today, on the back of it is a list of all the one another's. If you're online, you can get to that handout online and you can see the second page of that or you can just Google search for one another's in the New Testament. So am I living out the one another's? And here's what's interesting. If you still have your Bibles open, go back one verse. We are reading Ephesians 5.1. Look at Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Right there we have two of those one another's. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How would your family be different if you lived out just that one verse? How would your family change if you were kind and compassionate and forgiving in your family? Now, here's the tricky part. It's really easy to love people who are lovable. It's really easy to love my spouse when she's nice and friendly and kind. It's much harder. I'm speaking theoretically because Michelle is never like this, of course. It's much harder to love my spouse when she's not nice to me. Or she's cranky or moody, right? But here's what's interesting. I don't see in here, be kind and compassionate to one another when they are in a good mood and friendly to you. No, no, scripture calls us to be this regardless of the other person. So what would it look like for you to be kind and compassionate in your family? Regardless of the other person. Not because they deserve it, but because Christ calls us to it. What would it look like for you to forgive one another in your family because Christ calls you to do that? Not because they've asked for forgiveness, not because you think they should get it or not, but because Christ calls us to it. Am I living out the one another's? We have these 59 commands of the one another's. And so I want to just encourage you as we go into this week, pick one or two. Don't try to memorize the whole thing. It's not about, you know, getting the checkbox and memorization. What would it look like if you were to pick one or two of these one another's and live that out in your families this week? How would that change the dynamic, the environment of your families? Again, not because they deserve it, but because Christ calls us to it. Am I living out the one another's? The next thing I want to challenge you on is, am I striving to serve, sacrifice, and avoid sin like Jesus? Ephesians 5.2, going back there, says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, just as Christ did. Are we living our lives in the same way that Christ did? Am I striving to serve like Jesus did? On the night that Jesus was arrested, he got together with his buddies, and they went to a room, and they were going to have dinner together. And as they got in there just before dinner started, Jesus did something that, that looks a little weird. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 13, we have this story, and it says this in John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knew his arrest and crucifixion was coming. And then it says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then Jesus goes on to kneel at his disciples' feet and wash them. Dirty, nasty, we walked on a road in sandals kind of feet. Jesus, who had no right to be the one that made the choice to do that, decided that he is going to serve 
the people that he was teaching. He was going to set an example for them by getting down and washing their feet. Even Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him and be the key piece that led to Jesus' death. Jesus washed even that unworthy disciple's feet. What does it look like for you to serve like Jesus did? To give of yourself, to serve, to show love to other people. What does it look like for you to sacrifice like Jesus did? Yes, Jesus gave his life on the cross, but Jesus also gave up his divinity to become flesh. Right? Jesus gave up and gave up. He gave up the comforts of home. He walked around for three years. He was hungry. He was tired. People wanted things from him. Jesus was the model of sacrifice. And so I wonder, what would it look like in your families for you to sacrifice like Jesus did? To give up what you want, what you need for the sake of others. I know Michelle and I have this struggle. We each want something. And we have this strife or this conflict because we won't give up what we want. What does it look like to sacrifice what you want in the context of your families? Just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't have to get arrested. He, he didn't have to give all of that up. He didn't have to give up his life. He even says at one point when Jesus is getting arrested, Peter pulls out his sword. He's like, ah, and he goes to chop off somebody's ear. And Jesus is like, don't you think if I didn't want this to happen, I could stop it. I could call a legion of angels to protect me. I don't need you and your sword. But Jesus willingly gave up his life. Jesus willingly sacrificed. And he's calling us to do the same thing as we walk as Jesus walked. What do you need to sacrifice for the sake of your family? Am I striving to serve, sacrifice, and avoid sin? So let's get a little dirty here. Y'all are sinners. You all sin and fall short of the glory of God. If you weren't, if you didn't sin, we have no need of Jesus. Jesus, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. Why? Because Jesus knew the word of God. When we read the temptations in the desert at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what does he do? Every time Satan comes after him, he uses the Bible. He understands God's word and he says, no, this is the truth of scripture. Right? Jesus is spending time in prayer with God. Jesus is surrounding him by friends who are helping him along the way. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. So how are you doing with your sin? What did you look at on the computer this last week? What kind of talk did you share with your friend about your spouse that put them down? Are you gossiping? Are you lusting? Are you filled with greed or anger or envy? Jesus faced these same things and yet he was without sin. And so just like I said in the one another's, pick a one another and see what it looks like to live that out. Look at your sin. What are you going to do this week to, to turn away from that? Now, if you're like me, you've got a whole list of sins that you can probably go after. So I just want to encourage you, pick one. Pick something that is a struggle of yours, a temptation of yours, whatever that is, and strive to avoid it like Jesus did.
Use the word of God against it. Use prayer against it. Let God saturate you so much that it changes you from the inside out. Are you striving to serve, sacrifice, and avoid sin like Jesus? Imagine the impact on your family if you can deal with the sin in your life. Because here's what happens. Sin looks really good beforehand, and then we fall into it, and then what happens afterwards? We beat ourselves up. We become withdrawn. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. Right? Then we have to start the cycle over again. Well, when I'm in a place where I'm dealing with the consequences of my sin internally, am I going to be the best part of the family that I can be? No, because I have these own struggles. We need to cut it off. Cut the chain of events that leads to sin because that's who God needs us to be. That's the example God needs us to follow so that we can have a family that the world sees is different. We need to let Jesus make a change in our hearts so that we can change our families and see the change that makes in the world. Am I living out the one another's? Are you living those out? Are you striving to serve, sacrifice, and avoid sin like Jesus? And the last question I have for you is, are you looking at the right Jesus? Am I looking at the right Jesus? Because let me tell you, this world offers a whole lot of false messiahs. This world offers a whole lot of bad examples to look at. We have our favorite political figure, sports star, movie celebrities. We look at them, we idolize them, we say, I want to be like them. They will fall short. We have our favorite pastor, our favorite Christian leader, maybe our Christian artist or author. We look at them and we say, oh, that's the example I want to follow. They will also fall short. None of these is Jesus. Are you looking at the right Jesus? Are you looking at the Jesus only that we look about, that we read about in Scripture? Are you looking at the Jesus that we find here and what does he look like? There's a song by Todd Agnew that came out about 15 years ago called My Jesus. It came to mind while I was preparing for this, partially because it has this verse in it. And I just wanted to read to you some of the lyrics from it. As we think about who is the Jesus that you're following? Are you looking at the right Jesus? The first verse goes like this. This is my Jesus by Todd Agnew. Which Jesus do you follow? Which Jesus do you serve? If Ephesians says to imitate Christ, why do you look so much like the world? Because my Jesus bled and died. He spent his time with thieves and liars. He loved the poor and accosted the arrogant. So which one do you want to be? Blessed are the poor in spirit, or do we pray to be blessed with the wealth of this world? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, or do we ache for another taste of this world of shifting sand? One more verse I want to share. Pretty blue eyes and curly brown hair and a clear complexion. Is how you see him as he dies for your sin. What's your picture of Jesus hanging on the cross? But the word says he was battered and scarred. Or did you miss that part? Sometimes I doubt we'd recognize him. Who's the Jesus that you're looking at? 
Is it the one that, that says you're going to be blessed with a good life and wealth and prosperity? Is it the Jesus that says everything is going to be fine? There's no hurt. There's no problem. Are you looking at the real Jesus who says, you will have trouble in this world, but I have overcome this world. You are going to struggle, but I am with you in it. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> Someone's phone just went off, sorry. Jesus set an example for us on how to live. Are you following the Jesus that we see in Scripture? Are you willing to say, this is my ideology, this is my worldview, but I am going to go across the aisle to the people on the other side. I'm going to love people that are different like me, different than me. I'm going to love my spouse or my siblings or my parents, even though they don't have the same views of the world that I have. Because the way Jesus lived his life was not just in his cluster of people that he loved and were like him. He went out and he reached out to people that were different than him. And so if you're looking at the right Jesus, then you're loving people that are different than you. Even in your family. Especially in your family. So I just want to leave you with this. I want you to think about this as we close. Which Jesus are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the example of the God who says, love one another, care for one another, be compassionate, forgive one another? Are you going to go and you're going to follow the Jesus that set the example for us that says, I am going to do for other people what needs to be done, whether I think they deserve it, whether I like them or not? Which Jesus are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the example of the Jesus that served and sacrificed and dealt with sin? Are you going to follow the Jesus that reached out to people that are different, that loved? Not that just looked good. So I want you to think I'm going to pray here in just a minute. But I want you to take this and just boil it down. What are you going to do this week to follow God's example? Which one another are you in need of doing? What sin are you needing to avoid? What is it that you can do to get to know Jesus better? Because when you are looking at Jesus, then you will start to look like Jesus. And when you look like Jesus in your family, your family We'll see that your family will be different and it will start to look, look different. The world needs to see that Jesus makes a difference in how we live. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you for coming to earth, living your life as an example for teaching us how to live. I pray, Lord, that each of us would take to heart the things that we need to change in us so that we can make a difference in our families, so that we can make a difference in our world. Lord, we know that this, this world we live in is a mess, and you hurt in that. You know that you've provided a solution, and so I pray, Lord, that we would be examples of that solution, Lord, that as we follow you, that people would see that, and they would see you in us. And so I pray, Lord, that each person that hears my voice, each person that's taking in these words, would be able to look to you and you alone for their example of how to live, and it would change their hearts.
So just let that sink in, Lord Jesus. Work in us in your name. Amen.